Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Spiked Podcast. It's been an extraordinary week in British politics with MPs voting to block no deal Brexit and to block an election. We've had defections and sackings and the government losing its majority. Joining me to discuss all this and more, we have Spike's editor, Brendan O'Neill. Hello. Spike's deputy editor, Tom Slater. Hello, hello. And Spike columnist, Ella Whelan. Hi. I don't want an election. You don't want an election. Have you lost control, Prime Minister? The eyes to the right, 328. The nose to the left, 301. There must now be an election. No deal is opposed by every business group and by this House. Sovereignty in this House comes from the British people. Tom, um... Let's go back to the beginning of the week. Um, MPs vote to take control of parliamentary business Mm -hmm. and they use this to put forward the Ben Bill, a bill that aims to block a no-deal Brexit. Can you walk us a bit through that? No, it's definitely worth recapping because so much has happened since the beginning of this week. And I think this week will probably go down as the point in which Boris's kind of bluster in the leadership election in the first few weeks while Parliament was away kind of collided with the the reality, at least on some level. So this week started, as you said, um, with this vote on Tuesday to take control of the order paper, the Remain Alliance doing this wheeze that they've done before to try and force through an extension to Article 50. Um, They won that vote um, by around 30 votes. There were also 21 Tory rebels who had the whip taken away from them, including famously two former chancellors, including Ken Clark and Philip Hammond, eight former cabinet ministers, and Nicholas Soames, who as everyone was pointing out, so they were blue in the face, was Winston Churchill's grandson, so quite (laughs) significant there. The following day was the vote on the Ben Bill, which you were just talking about, which was the bill to basically legislate for an extension if the Prime Minister, whoever that happens to be, um, hasn't got a deal through by the 19th of October um, or hasn't got a parliamentary majority for no deal, which of course is never going to happen um, with this parliament, um, would be forced to ask for an extension till at least the 31st of January. Following that, Boris Johnson instantly was calling for a general election. They held a vote on that under the Fixed Term Parliaments Act. You needed a two-thirds majority. It didn't even come close. Ever since the Labour Party have just been letting him sweat, we've now heard as of this morning that when there is another vote under the Fixed Term Parliaments Act to try and call for an election again, that they're likely to vote against it again. And it seems like the Labour Party and much of the opposition to Boris in Parliament is going down this route of effectively trying to make him sweat it out, perhaps even make him sign this extension to try and destroy his credibility. And in doing so, I think reveal a lot about themselves as far as they keep saying about how much they want the public to have a say. But I think so much about delaying this is about making sure, as they are being quite explicit about, having that election after the extension so that the public can't intervene and can't actually mess up their plan of keeping us in the European Union. So there's a lot to talk about, but I think the two big messages at the end of this week, of course, are the seeming disintegration of of Boris and his position at this point, but also the utter shamelessness of of Parliament, who are becoming more and more unprincipled, more and more brazen in their attempts to keep us in the European Union. Brendan? I completely agree with that final point. I think um, this week's been really, really shocking. I think it's, I mean, we all have known that this is what's going on. The political class has been desperate to take back control of the Brexit process for a long time. And the vast majority of them are anti-Brexit. They they think the people who voted for it are stupid and they want to do everything they can to stop it. But as Tom says, this week it just became so much more brazen, so much more out in the open. And they are conspiring now to seize control of the process 
from the government ostensibly, but really from the vote of 2016, which they all want to overthrow. So it's really shocking. This is a case of parliament versus the people. That's the constitutional crisis we now find ourselves in, where our representative body is um, openly conspiring against the people it is supposed to represent. And um, it's really alarming. And I think it, it's it's quite confusing, though, and it's, it, it all gets quite mystified, firstly, by all the various goings on that Tom just described very well, which people find it difficult to follow. Uh, but also because there is this myth floating around this whole process that what MPs are doing, Remainer MPs, is something good and progressive and even radical. Um, you know, you see Anna Subri doing the kind of fist salute as she walks through the commons and sees her fellow Ramonas um, as if they are like, you know, modern day incarnations of the Black Panthers or something. <laughs> um, and you see all these people, all these MPs like Jess Phillips and others on TV talking about doing the best thing for the public, standing up to the Tory toffs. And of course, you have Caroline Lucas, um, berating Jacob Rees-Mogg for lying down in the commons on, on the couches. And it, it all is designed to give this impression that this is a political class that is, you know, forward-looking, progressive, open-minded, and, and wants to do the right thing by the people. Complete myth, complete and utter myth. They are reactionary, they are undemocratic, and they're extremists because wanting to overthrow the largest act of democracy in history is an extremist thing to do. I think the left has a lot to answer for here because the left in this country has has provided them with this pretense, has assisted them with creating this cover for their anti-democratic behaviour by constantly going along, along with the idea that Brexit is bad, that Boris is Hitler reincarnated and that everything that's going on is really wicked. So the left has a lot to answer for in, in giving them, uh, licensing them to behave in this awful way and then to present their behaviour as some kind of pro-people act. Ella, um, your thoughts on this week? Well, on the one hand, it's very frustrating because you really wish that, and we talked about this last week, you really wish that Boris Johnson hadn't gone on with the proroguing of Parliament and um, that the Lords weren't planning on uh, filibustering the Ben Bill, that there wasn't this sort of got a very lax approach to democracy or even um, a kind of a wrong approach to democracy because at first I thought this is giving a gift to the other side you then have people like Ian Blackford from the SNP, Leila Moran from the Lib Dems, Anna Subri getting up and, uh, you know, going some way to trying to make themselves look like a credible defender of democracy by criticising the government for proroguing parliament. And, you know, that's a whole mess that's very difficult to get a clear picture from. But after the response to the prospect of a general election and after the fact that really the kind of mortifying last 48 hours for especially the Labour Party um, running scared from a general election, one very clear thing has come through and that's how staggeringly arrogant Remain MPs or anti-Brexit MPs are and just how absolutely terrified they are of the public. And I think this really got hit home for me listening to Sir Philip Lee talk, the Conservative MP who dramatically walked across the floor and joined the Lib Dems this week to undermine uh, Boris Johnson famously taking away his one majority in an interview, he said, uh, this sacrifice was mine. I sacrificed my career, me. You know, it was all, all about him. And we hear the same thing from the likes of Subri and Blackford, that this is about them and my and my conscience and my understanding of what's right for the country. And that is why they will not go for a general election. That's why they're terrified, because what they think 
is completely different to what the public thinks. And, you know, you can't always trust polls. We can have a whole other debate about polls. But a very interesting one came out at the start of this week published by YouGov. One of the questions they asked people was, from the kind of credible list of options, you know, no deal, soft deal, second referendum, all of that, what would be your preference? And as it happens, no deal came out on top of 21%, but even more crucially, delay came second, just second to May's deal at 5%. So the public does not want a delay on this issue. And yet that is all parliamentarians are seeking to do. Yeah. Let's talk a bit more about this um, potential general election. I mean, it's got to be a first, hasn't it, for basically the opposition to want to try and scupper a general election. They've described an election as a trap rather than an opportunity to put their um, ideas to the public and to kick out this government. What do we make of that? I mean, all you have to do is cast your mind back to the beginning of this week or a little bit over, where, again, all the slogan was stop the coup. There's still mm. actually stop <laughs> the coup protest going on in Westminster. Yeah. And yet um, Every day, pretty much. this supposedly dictatorial administration, despite the fact that, as we've talked about, we're against prorogation, it was nowhere near as bad as everyone was making it out to be, um, then offered them the general election that they've been saying, that the Labour Party had been saying every single opportunity opportunity they're desperate to have and they're convinced they can win and they completely bottle it and again the language you're hearing it's a trap now nominally the argument is that well we can't trust Boris Johnson we could vote for a general election he'd then move the date to force through no Mm -hmm. deal but what I find fascinating about that argument was not only is it quite desperate I don't Mm -hmm. think you know even Boris Johnson would do this at this point I don't think it makes sense and will be within their strategy to effectively have a no deal while parliament isn't sitting. I don't think that makes any sense. But what's interesting is that their strategy is almost the mirror image of that. They want Mm. to push now an election past the 31st of October, past an extension being secured, to effectively force through an extension. So you have this kind of the complete lack of principle and also just exploding the um, claims made at the top of this week that what they're doing is facing down a strong man, would-be dictatorial leader. As Brendan says, this this almost isn't really very much about Boris Johnson at all, who has mm. exposed himself to be not nearly as strong and as clued up and as well strategized via Dominic Cummings as a lot of people like to think he was. What they're doing is effectively launching a coup against the Brexit vote, against what people voted for. And that's become starkly clear in the last 48 hours. Brendan? Uh, absolutely right. I think the the blocking of the general election is so cynical and actually quite sinister. And as Ella says, firstly, it's because a lot of these people know that they will not get support. You know, they know that the public is, a lot of the public is really angry at what's going on. And, you know, particularly people like Jess Phillips, Anna Subri, some of these others who come from constituencies that voted for leave, and now they have devoted themselves fully, completely, entirely to overthrowing the leave vote. So these politicians, we hope, will not be popular when they go back to um, to listen to the people's judgment. So they want to protect themselves, but more importantly, they want to protect the process that they've now set in motion, which is undermining the 2016 vote, the largest vote in the history of this country, which they are now um, working day and night against. You know, I've never seen MPs work so tirelessly for anything as they have for the mm. destruction of the largest vote in the history of this nation. They really are putting all of their energy into that. And they are insulating themselves from public anger and public judgment by putting a block on a general election. So this is one of the most cynical, sinister events of, of modern times in, in terms of British politics. This is where I also think that the left plays a crucial role, because as Tom says, we have this absolutely perverse situation where everyone's saying stop the coup 
But if anything smacks of a coup right now, it's what the Ramonas are doing, which is overthrowing Brexit while also ensuring that the public doesn't have a say on what they're doing and mm. trying to ensure that there's an extension, i.e. we stay in the EU before there's a public vote in which we can express what we feel about that. Uh, and then at the same time as that's happening, at the same time that that kind of coup is taking place, you have the left outside of these buildings saying stop the coup against Boris Johnson and raging against Boris Johnson. And effectively, they are now just a stage army for the political classes destruction of the vote of 2016. This is now the role that the left and Corbynistas are playing. They are the pseudo-radical stage army for the preservation of the neoliberal status quo against the votes of millions of ordinary people. I mean, it is so unbelievably shameful what they are doing. But I think the general election thing is absolutely central to all of this because their dislike of that idea and their determination to put it off shows that what they're doing has absolutely nothing to do with preserving democracy and actually is is complete opposite. Yeah. And so there's going to be 21 Tories who won't be facing a general election, um, having had the Tory whip uh, removed from them when they voted against the government on Tuesday night. Ella, what what do you make of um, what's happened to these Tory rebels? Well, well, one thing that's fascinating is the amount of support that they've had across the House. I mean, you've got Labour MPs standing up, Jess Phillips being one of them, uh, standing up and saying what an utter disgrace it is that this is happening. And, you know, people, uh, Ruth Davidson, for Conservatives on others tweeting and saying, sure, someone like Nicholas Soames, Winston <laughs> Churchill's grandson, you know, as if like being part of a celebrity political family just gives you a kind of free pass to do whatever you like. There's been some really crazy responses to it. Um, but in the end, there have, you know, you can criticize the Conservative Party for, for example, letting people off the hook in the past, Jacob Rees Mogg being one of them. But we are in particularly febrile times and the stakes are particularly high. And if, as the 21 rebels, so, and again, I'm using air quotes around rebels because it's utterly <laughs> ridiculous to call them rebels when they're voting for the status quo position in Parliament to stop Brexit. <laughs> But if what they did, and it is what they did, is to vote to undermine their own government and to remove the executive power, well, then it's sort of a no-brainer that, that that this should happen. I think one of the fascinating things, just going back in relation to the general election and uh, the kind of the terror among so many MPs about what the prospect of going back to the people will mean, it's important to note that, for example, just about a quarter of Lib Dems, the 16 um, Lib Dems who are in Parliament at the moment, are not technically Lib Dems. They were not elected in a general election as Lib Dems. So there, you know, it's Luciana Berger, who we saw um, move over to the Lib Dems this week, Chuka Muna, others um, who really should be putting themselves up uh, for a by-election before a general election if they believed in democracy. But also in the question of the Labour Party, I think this is the thing that really gets me. And it was sort of revealed with Emily Thornberry's performance on Question Time last night, which was very exposing. Mm which is if the Labour Party truly and utterly believed and was convinced by its own pronouncements that a no deal was against the public will, that it was catastrophic, disastrous, lethal even, uh, and that this is absolutely not something that uh, that the people want, well, then surely they would waltz through a general election. And if everything that they said about Boris Johnson is true, which it is, that he's had, you know, three defeats in the Commons, his own brothers disowned him, he's giving weird press conferences in which policewomen are fainting behind him, you know, it's not been a good week for him. Well, then, should Jeremy Corbyn will waltz through a general election? 
the whole point is this reveals the very embarrassing fact for them that they are convinced that they will fail. They know that they will fail. And so this is just strategic maneuvering. And that to voters, that is a very, very bad picture to be revealed of yourself. I think one thing just to tack onto that that's really interesting about the response to the um, rescinding of the whip to the rebels and all the rest of it is that it really does bring up this sense that you get of a lot of MPs on the Ramona side of parliament, that they have this incredible sense of entitlement that borders on the kind of, you know, born to rule mentality. There was Mm. a lot of chatter this week about how arrogant and elitist and old Etonian it was for, you know, Jacob Rees-Mogg to lounge on the front bench as the debate Mm. was going on. But I think in the reaction to um, the Tory rebels getting the whip taken away, you see how these people really feel like by dint of either their lineage in the case of Nicholas Soames yeah. or just by dint of them being right as far as they're concerned just how intense that was it reminds me as well you know when Dominic Grieve who's also been um, had the Tory whip taken away from him was having these moves um, in within his own Conservative Association to pass votes of no confidence in him etc the outcry from people as if he was some little prince being rounded on by the villagers you know yeah. there's this kind of <laughs> sense that has come so much to the fore that you saw in the backlash how the Tory rebels were treated this week and also just the casualness which we of which you have someone like Philip Lee join the Lib Dems despite the fact that the Lib Dems got about 7.5% of the vote in his seat in 2017. Mm. It just shows that these people really think they have a right to rule. It's not about Boris Johnson and Jacob Rees-Mogg and these old Etonians. These people are the ones who are convinced that they know better and shouldn't face the verdicts of the public. And, and it's, it's just so revealing how easily they can flip between one party and another, that, you know, how similar... Um, the establishment are on this, you know, the most important issue of, of our time. You know, you have not, not, not only Philip Lee, but Luciana Berger leaving Labour, then going to Change UK, party of the 0%, as I like to call them. Um, <laughs> you mean the independent group for change? The independent group for change. <laughs> change for whatever they're calling themselves um, this week or when this podcast comes out, I don't know. But that she can switch between two different parties in the in the space of a single parliament. I mean, it's it's, it's absolutely astonishing. I had, to, I, I had to laugh when Anna Subri was talking on the BBC News earlier this week about how She's not going to put up lots of Change UK candidates against the Lib Dems because that would be a tactical error. And you think, what? What candidates? As if, as if she's got this long line of people to put. They've got nobody. Dust off Gavin Esler. Yeah, yeah, that's about it. But I think uh, it's absolutely right to draw out the um, the sameness of the parties, which I know is an old critique, but it's really becoming so clear in the fact that they can people can so easily just waltz across the floor of the house to another party. And it it makes perfect sense, in fact, because so many of these parties have a similar view. But I think this is another example of how the language around all of this mystifies what's really going on. So the way people are talking about the, you know, the Labour politicians who are defending the 21 Tories who are kicked out, or the way in which the Lib Dems are saying, let's work with the SNP, and all these various things are going on. People are talking about it in the language of consensus, language of unity, the language of national interest. But actually what's going on here is the establishment is closing ranks against the people. The establishment has recognised that their privilege and their um, their privileged position and their power and the way they've organised their affairs and national affairs for at least 40 years has been called into question by the masses and they are closing ranks against that. I think one of the most important things 
that people like us can do going ahead is just challenge the way these things are talked about and challenge the way they are described and just constantly clarify what's really going on and what's going on when Jess Phillips, just to mention her for the 16th time on this podcast, <laughs> what's really Obsessed. going on when she stands up and says, poor Nicholas Soames is not um, consensus. <laughs> it's not unity. It's the closing of the establishment ranks, the new establishment and the old establishment uniting against the people, against the public, against democracy itself, and doing so in order to protect their privileged technocratic position and their, as Tom says, their presumption that they have the right to rule us. That's what's going on here. And I think just making that clear at every single turn is really essential. So it's been a bad week for for Boris. I think everyone would say a 100% record of Commons defeats. And you do just get this sense, um, looking at him speaking in public or even speaking at PMQs, that he's disintegrating a little bit. He isn't the confident, bombastic Boris that we've been used to seeing in political life for the past 10 years. So, I mean, Tom, do you think the wheels have kind of come off the Boris bus? <laughs> that's a nice way of putting it. Um, it's hard to tell. And I think the one thing that's really clear is that this kind of crack up was going to happen. If, you, mm. if he was really determined to try and force the issue on the question of no deal, or it was always clear he was going for a general election, you know, it was going to get messy. I think that's fair to say. But at the same time, I think there is a huge question hanging over all of this about whether or not this is all strategy or whether it's all just been a complete cock up. And I think the jury's out on that question. You know, whether or not that strategy's right, I think will basically be borne out in if the general election ends up happening and what ends up happening in it. But at the same time, what I think has really come through is, as you say, his kind of sense of fragility, the kind yeah. of sense in which, you know, whilst he wants to pose as the person who's seeing down all these anti-Democrats, he seems incredibly uncertain. The cabinet in particular, in the wake of the whip being withdrawn from those various MPs, have looked incredibly cautious and wary. And I think going into a general election where he wants to be seen to kind of be seeing down the opposition, seeing down the so-called rebel alliance, it certainly doesn't help. His authority is already draining away. And I think talking about strategy and this idea that Dominic Cummings had it all worked out, he'd game theoried the hell out of everything and it was all <laughs> going to work out perfectly. What they've realised this week is whilst they can do, as they did with prorogation, unexpected, sometimes unprincipled, sometimes cynical things to try and move things in their favour, um, the opposition in Parliament are completely capable of doing that as well. And mm. I think they were wrong-footed this week because they seem to be completely oblivious to the fact that they would try and pull out all the stops to stop Brexit because this isn't just a simple question of party politics anymore. This is an existential threat to the political class as it currently exists. And so, of course, they're going to pull any trick out that they possibly can to try and stop it from happening. Ella, um, your take on the on Boris and the Tories? I think we knew all along that he wasn't ever going to be the, truly be the kind of man of the people for Brexit. And it's been discussed before, we've discussed before on this podcast, the fact that Boris Johnson, unlike perhaps some others, don't believe that he in his bones really deeply cares about this issue in the same way that perhaps we do. And part of the problem is that he, very much like Theresa May, is trying to treat Brexit as, uh, you know, a policy point that has to be done. And we saw in his, um, when he was answering questions from the press in his strange press conference this week, the answer he kept giving was, you know, people just want this done. They want it over with. And actually, there's a complete misunderstanding of the nature of Brexit because it's far, far more radical and far more wide reaching than that. In fact, actually, what Brexit is at this point is 
beyond leaving the European Union, it's a challenge at its heart to the state of British politics. It's, you know, a challenge to the parties to redefine themselves along uh, new fault lines of leave and remain. It's a challenge to the way we vote, that not being seemingly not being satisfactory enough anymore to truly represent people. It's a it's a complete chasm in the way politics have been up until now. And so it's quite obvious that a you know a Conservative Party member like Boris Johnson, who really at his heart wants to be successful within his own party, is not going to embrace that kind of radical demand and it's not going to be able to fulfil that promise. And you don't even have to be, you know, the kind of um, left-wing populist that I might want to be at the head of government to get near that. You just have to be able to deal with change and have to have an optimistic view of the future. Boris Johnson just wants to get back to business as usual. And that's why he's come unstuck because his choices now are either to resign, give up, or to do something which is going to be wholly unsatisfactory, either try and force through a no deal or try and kind of slip it in through Weasley means like relying on the Lords to filibuster the Ben bill. None of that gets to the heart of the democratic spirit of Brexit. And so it will always be unsatisfactory. Brendan, final word. Um, yeah, I think uh, the, the question of why Boris is not doing very well is actually a really pressing, important question to ask right now. There's all this discussion about whether it's he's playing a strategic game or whether he really is not doing very well. But aside from that, you know, we, we say, and lots of people have said, that um, prorogation and various other things he's done have been a complete gift to the Remainers because it's allowed them to unify more than they had previously and to pose as defenders of democracy. That's all true. But I think it's far more the case that what Remainers are currently doing is a gift, a potential gift to someone like Boris. He could so easily clean up on this uh, by pointing out relentlessly all the time in public speeches across the country about the way in which the political class is stitching up the public is selling them out, is betraying them. Uh, they are behaving like traitors. He, he could really make a lot of mileage out of that. In a, it, even if it was in a narrow right-wing populist way, he could do a lot on that. But he's not doing that very well at all, which raises the question uh, as to why. Firstly, I think it, it's partly because of his own limitations. He simply mm. is not the great orator or statesman that he and others may have thought. And that's becoming increasingly clear. I thought his pun against Corbyn in the House of Commons, where he says Corbyn supports regimes like Venezuela, he must be Caracas, was so bad. Mm. I mean, it really, I physically cringed when I heard... He's a think, chlorinated chicken as well. In chlorinated chicken. You think, who's writing this stuff? A lot of these lines were reused. And they're re rehashed lines. So, so he's not the orator. That's the first thing. He's not a statesman or anything like that. But also the other thing, as Ella says, the second reason and the more important one is because he doesn't really understand the spirit of Brexit and the content of Brexit. Because if he did, he'd be out there risking his, um, putting his neck on the line and saying all these very colourful populist things that would get the public going about Brexit, about the betrayal of Brexit. But he's not on our side in that sense. He's not as pro-Brexit, as pro-democracy, as pro-change as people like we are. The thing is, the, f the final point I would make is that British politics is, is going through a kind of a, a remarkable realignment right now. We see this with people swapping parties. We see this with the Labour Party becoming, going to the forefront of um, opposing ordinary people, which is not what it's supposed to be doing. <laughs> we see it with the collapse of the Tory party and we see it with the rise of the Brexit party. Politics is being realigned, but at the moment it's happening largely by default, by accident, 
and away from ordinary people. So the realignment of politics is taking place without public pressure and without public engagement. That's the thing that's got to change because politics does need to be realigned, but it needs to be along the lines of what ordinary people want. So the sooner we have a general election, the sooner we have a space to have those discussions, and the sooner the public gets to say what kind of politicians they want and what kind of parties they want, then the sooner we might have a genuine democratic realignment of British politics. Thanks for listening to this special edition of the Spiked podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show and have been enjoying our content all week. If you'd like to support us in doing what we do, then the best way to do that is by giving a donation. One-off donations are brilliant, but even better is if you're able to give monthly. Just £5 a month can really go a long way. To give us a donation, just go to spikes-online.com and hit the big red button in the top right corner. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.